Sambunani, hello, how's it? Welcome to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. It has been a while for us uh, to to um, to talk, to chat, to connect. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, it's 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 been a rather busy past two weeks for me as I have essentially sold everything that I own and uh, I now live on the road, so to speak. Um, traveling across the country to advocate for my ideas, my liberty ideas. So I'm currently in Cape Town. This uh, this production is coming to you from Cape Town, where I'm doing a lot of work in communities to basically spread the ideas of classical liberalism. Um, ideas, I believe, err on the side of freedom, err on the side of preserving the family, err on the side of preserving the idea that we are all individuals, a family society, if you will, um, you know, that uh, is just looking to, you know, live in a prosperous, non-racial and free society. So that's what I'm doing at the moment, but that's not going to affect my ability to come to you um, every week on a Friday in this podcast um, and this syndicated show here on Chai FM. Welcome to it, guys. Welcome to the Big Daddy Liberty Show, the podcast edition. Um, I'm your host, Big Daddy Liberty. And uh, man, oh man, do I have a fantastic show for you today as we... As we look at the issue of prohibition again, you know, uh, often we, we, we hear from the political elites and from government, you know, oh, they'll say we're, we're prohibiting the sale of cigarettes um, and we're shutting down the sale of alcohol. You know, the, the arguments being that if we do this as the state, um, it'll help prevent, you know, the severe cases of COVID-19 or alternatively, as the argument goes, it'll see a, a reduction in the number of people in hospitals, thus allowing them to be able to treat more COVID cases. Uh, But the one side we've never really heard from in real detail is the people behind the ban, the people who rather are affected by the ban. Um, What's their quality of life been as they now perhaps have seen, in the case of tobacco, you know, five months of having no income? How would you fare if you had five months of no income at all? As the rest of the economy was slightly eased and returned back to work in one guise or the other, what happened to our farmers? What happened to our traders, the people who maybe sell um, you know, these, these uh, uh, products as specialized shops? What happened to the people who are maybe in the liquor industry, which is an entire supply chain, by the way. It isn't just the store that you walk into to buy your favorite uh, beer or whatever the case may be. It's the supply chain uh, you know, that supplies that beer to that shop or the factory that makes the beer or the farmers that supply the raw materials. What about those individuals? So we're going to have that conversation today as I bring you two special guests. Um, that's Herman Ruiz, who is a tobacco farmer out in Brits. We're going to have a conversation with him. And of course, Natasha Zietzman um, fr- uh, here in the Western Cape, who is a liquor store owner. So we're going to have that conversation at the 20th minute mark. Um, but uh, let me go to my first ad break. After the break, as usual, we look at the news week that was, and we have that conversation um, after the short break. Welcome back to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. This is the podcast edition that is syndicated on Chai FM. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. 
Um, yeah, as I always do, guys, uh, I always begin by looking at the news week that was. Um, what got you talking? What got you angry? What got you maybe smiling and happy? What had you gnashing your teeth? We're going to have that conversation now. As I, I look at this news week, it's been a, very, a bit of an interesting one. Uh, again, I think as South Africans, we're back in the courts. Um, specifically this time, you know, big corporates... Uh, at least some of them are beginning to find their voice as the crippling nature of you know the lockdown maybe begins to bite them and their bottom line. I'm talking, of course, about you know British American Tobacco South Africa, them, and uh, that's Batson in short, uh, them and a few other vested interest groupings from tobacco farmers associations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, basically, took the government to court, and we're in uh, uh, court on Wednesday. Uh, arguing against the the ban, the the unilateral ban on cigarettes. I suppose I will have this conversation in in more detail um, when my guests join me, but I just wanted to touch on it because I think what what the takeaway from me were the absolutely absurd arguments that were being made by by government. Um, It almost seemed to be purposefully insulting our intelligence as, as, as a public. And I just again, let me be precise and specific. You know, the, the arguments is effectively made by the state were this. Um, well, we basically banned cigarettes. They argued because you know we just didn't know um, what the effects of you know people smoking will be on the the um, the cases of COVID. We we just didn't know that they said. And we then took that decision to unilaterally just ban and shut down the industry in entirety. In the view, in the hope, at least they said, that it would help people uh, stop smoking. None of that makes sense. None of that makes sense. Because rightly so, uh, the the lawyers who are opposing this, of course, or rather who brought this case uh, to the court, that's the, um, the Batson lawyers, Rightly cited, look, we've had other respiratory diseases in this country before. And the recommendations, for instance, from the World Health Organization, which government also cited as a reason that they banned cigarettes, have always been in place insofar as arguing that, you know, uh, getting people to stop smoking is is, is a good thing. And I, I genuinely do believe that getting people to stop smoking is a good thing. But we've never banned cigarettes before. So why was this a special case? And why is there special pleading from the state right now uh, on, on this particular issue? So, again, it just seemed as though that, you know, th- this entire thing, which is affecting so many millions of people's lives, is becoming a, 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 a farce to a large extent, as the government uses all sorts of mental gymnastics to convince itself that it's done the right thing here, even though the harm it's bringing on people is, is perhaps even far greater. I mean, harm such as, for example, the growing... Uh, quote-unquote black market of cigarettes if your aim was to stop people from going out to buy cigarettes well you sure as hell, you sure as heck haven't done that insofar as people are still going out and now they're actually meeting up with you know maybe even shadier characters in order to get their fix of cigarettes or booze so there's something that just doesn't seem to click and add up here which i think I'll, i'm going to go down that road with my guests as i said after the break you know another sector that's seen uh, or rather another issue which I think really came to the fore is in the mainstream media at the very least, there's very little in the, in the way of uh, a conversation around the number of people who have recovered from 
COVID-19. I mean, the latest cases, you know, are just over 583,000 uh, people who have had and have COVID-19. Uh, and, you know, the, the health minister actually really releasing some good news in the past week, saying, you know, there's a few provinces where, uh, you know, where there's been a, a, a even a, a, a downtick in the number of cases. That's absolutely good news. But again, we, we don't see that being, um, you know, taking front and center in the in how this disease is being communicated. We're still given the sort of doom and gloom, lugubrious news around this. For instance, we're not told that, you know, South Africa has an effective recovery rate of 77% of people who've had this, you know, 377,266 people having actually recovered. Again, these are the recorded cases of recoveries. And I likely believe that, you know, this number is underreported. I'm sure more people have recovered from this. But we don't hear this in, in real detail. You know, instead, people are, are still incredibly frightened, um, you know, as, as if getting COVID is a death sentence. And I, I believe there's just that, that's fundamentally mistaken. We, we cannot be communicating to people like this. Fear and hysteria is just not a healthy way of having people to act rationally at a time like this. So I, I, I do think it's something we need to pay attention to, especially as we go forward. Um, and of course, the big issue for me um, this past week is all the corruption scandals we're now hearing. You know, it, it just it begs belief that even at a time of a crisis, those who ordinarily see themselves as you know the leeches and the looters of the state didn't didn't actually sit back and go, hey, maybe let's let's take a step back from our usual thieving, and allow the state and allow South Africa to fight this pandemic. These individuals are still there, still stealing, which was prompted, of course, this week on Wednesday. I think the uh, finance minister Tito Mboweni announced at a briefing that the Treasury ends, has ended the emergency PPE procurement process, which basically allowed all, all uh, levels of government to be able to bypass usual strict legislation around um, how they procured things and to buy them at, on an emergency basis. Especially when you're beginning to see the trends now, that there is something fundamentally rotten and corrupt happening around, and has happened rather, around the procurement of PPE. You know, there was a video that went viral on social media of a whole bunch of uh, PPE equipment. I think it was gloves, masks, um, etc. Boxes of it, boxes of it, floating down a river in Gauteng somewhere. Floating, because it had been dumped. And that's, that's, that, that tells you a story of, is that perhaps one of the reasons why we're being told that there is a shortage of this equipment? that those who maybe um, are seeking to benefit from the procurement of it are dumping, maybe concealing, destroying some of the equipment in order to create the impression that there is a shortage? I think that's something we need to investigate, and that's something that needs uh, the state to really ramp up its anti-corruption um, initiatives. But the question is, can we, can we trust these politicians to do something like that? The very same politicians who have um, dismantled uh, key institutions that used to bust corruption quite effectively, such as the Scorpions. I mean, the Minister of uh, Justice this week waxed lyrical about the need for a Scorpion-like, he said, if I'm to quote his words, institution to be reinstated. But is he doing that because he genuinely believes we need an institution like that, as we do? Or is he doing that to pacify what is a growing, frustrated and very angry, angry public? who recognize that people in government are essentially some of the most um, unethical and really thieving people in our society. 
These are hard questions, dear South African, that we need to uh, interrogate in real terms. And of course, the last issue I want to look at before I get to my uh, guests after the break, um, you know, is, is one which I think will speak to um, an ongoing global crisis um, around security. You know, in Beirut, a, a massive explosion, a massive explosion that saw, I think, over 100 people lose their lives and thousands injured. And I don't think, you know, it's being touted as being an accidental cargo uh, that led to this, uh, a whole bunch of, you know, sort of chemicals, very highly explosive chemicals that were kept at the harbour. But I, I, I would love to see a proper investigation being launched into this. A proper investigation being launched into this. Because the people of Lebanon have been subjected for the longest of times to a terrorist organisation by the name of Hezbollah. And I've got a feeling, and again, this is a, a, a total, I'm opining on this, I don't have facts or data on this, but I'll keep an eye on it. I've got a feeling that Hezbollah may have been keeping arms at that port, and this is where this accident may have been happening. Because we're being told that no, it was ammonium nitrate, uh, large quantities of it sitting in a harbor like that. For what purpose? But again, it'll be interesting to find out. Um, and again, I, my condolences to the people of of, of Beirut, because, I mean, it, it, it is such a terrible, terrible disaster to happen in that part of the world, a country that's already been reeling with so many issues in that part of the world. And I do hope the international community steps in and assists. I know Israel has made a call to, to render some assistance. And for once, I hope the politics is put aside and that we can actually assist people in need. Guys, let me take an ad break. Um, after the break, I bring on my guest. That's Herman Ruiz, a tobacco farmer in uh, Gauteng. Um, and of course, um, uh, Natasha Zitzman, who's a liquor store owner out here in the Western Cape. Guys, welcome back to the Big Daddy Liberty Show, the podcast edition syndicated here on Chai FM. Welcome to it, welcome to it. It's just gone past uh, 23 minutes past nine, which means, hey man, it's that time for the major segment, the major interview of the show. And, um, you know, today's show, as I said at the beginning, is looking at the, the issue, uh, the effects, the crippling effects that the terrible decisions to prohibit, um, you know, alcohol and cigarettes or tobacco in particular, have had on the sector. And I made the point before the break that, you know, we've heard from the politicians, we've heard from the chattering classes in this country, you know, who are clapping for this stuff. Oh, it's fantastic, they'll tell us. Um, this will totally solve the COVID-19 overcrowding cases at hospitals, they tell us. Um, this will be fantastic for the economy and all sorts of other things, such as road accidents and blah, 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 they'll tell us. But the one group of people we've never really heard from in this instance are those who are harmed and really hurt by this. You know, fellow family, South Africans like you and me, uh, who, you know, are much like all of us trying to make an, an income, trying to make a living, trying to put bread on the table. So I thought, hey, let's have that conversation today. So joining us in to, uh, on today's show, I keep wanting to say in studio, <laughs> um, joining us on the show today is Herman Ruiz, who is, of course, a tobacco farmer out in, um, I said Gauteng, I'm actually wrong, Brits is in the west, uh, northwest um, province. Let me just quickly welcome into the show. Uh, Herman, good morning and welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Big Daddy Liberty, and morning to all your listeners. Fantastic, my brother. And of course, I'm also joined by Natasha Zitzman, who is a, a, um, a liquor store owner out here in the Western Cape, uh, somewhere in the south coast, if I'm not mistaken. She'll, she'll correct me. Natasha, good morning. 
Good morning. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Natasha, where, where exactly are you based? We are in Jeffreys Bay in the Eastern Cape. Ah, there we go. Sorry, I said Western Cape. Ah, yes, just on the <laughs> just on the border, uh, uh, really, with uh, Jeffreys Bay uh, out in the Eastern Cape. Guys, uh, welcome to it and welcome to the show. Uh, you know, I, I think let me start start at the very top of this. And uh, Adam and I'll look to you first. You know, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't realize that the ban on things like tobacco and alcohol, you know, tobacco being the worst perhaps because it's been five months effectively um, of no trade in that industry, has a severe impact on real people, actual real people. Um, Herman, you're a tobacco farmer. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been on this farm now for 12 years, but I'm now the third generation on this farm. It started with my grandmother, who started farming tobacco back in the 50s. And due to the severe drought in 1960s, she had to stop farming. And my father picked up um, the tobacco farming practices again in the late, uh, about 1968. And uh, yeah, I've taken over my farm from about 2006. I've been farming tobacco as a third generation. Then. Absolutely. Again, talking to the, 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 the proud lineage we have in this country in our farming community, um, you know, Maybe before I get to you, Natasha, um, Herman, just talk to me about, you know, the, uh, and I, I'm going to be quite direct here, you know, talk to me about the <clears> effects <throat> that this prohibition has had on you um, as a farmer. You know, did you see it coming when it was initially announced? No. Uh, the whole thing of this prohibition, nobody saw it coming. It was as if you poured a, a, a bucket of cold water us, uh, over us when this prohibition started and being fed promises over the past few months we all thought okay things are going to work out this ban is going to lift it but except for the financial uh, implications that it has it's there's a massive psychological uh, implication on us uh, which the people don't understand um I'm worried. Uh, there are nights that I don't sleep, uh, that I'm worried. Uh, how am I going to feed for my family? How am I going to look after farm workers that has been working on this farm? Also, two, three generations, for workers that came as families with my grandmother, and they are working, uh, are still working those families on my farm. And these things, emotionally, psychologically, uh, it is eating away at us, you know, um, and the impact is at a stage where I had to say, guys, I need a break. I need a physical break away from the farm. I need to get away to clear my head, to get my head straight, you know, um, mm -hmm. this week. And I had to get just uh, – and I went down to, to Cape Town for, uh, for uh, other reasons. And I need, just needed to go get away, you know. It just became so bad for me. Mm. And, you know, uh, Natasha, as I come to you, you know – Herman, and I must say, like, um, you know, I've, I've said this on my show countless times, you know, I, I get very, very angry and I get very, very emotional when I hear <laughs> South Africans being put through the absolute ringer by, by people who actually don't even understand um, us as a people, you know, the, these the political elites in this country, the politicians, when they make these decisions, they don't think about families. Um, you know, they don't really, you know, for them, it's, it's, it's a matter of exercising some form of political control. And my concern is that the casualties of these are people like Harman. The casualties of, of these decisions are people like you. Um, do you want to maybe talk to me about what you do in, um, in, in Jeffreys Bay? Like, is it a liquor store? And, you know, how's the, the, the on and off ban in your case uh, affected you and your business? Well, 
the, we own the liquor store, um, kind of a small little liquor store here in Jeffrey's Bay. Um, it has been in business for going on 20 years. We took it over just over a year ago. We took it over. We saw it as a chance to make a better life for us and for our families. And it's the whole thing, like, like Jan said, the, oh, sorry, Herman said, sorry, I apologize. Like Herman said, this whole thing has such a psychological impact on us as business owners but it has an impact on our family as well. Um, for instance, the, the, the second time they put the band in, um, when Sir Ramaphosa said, okay, we're gonna close the alcohol, okay, we're gonna close the alcohol industry again. I started crying, because I thought, what now, what now? What about my staff? What about us? What about the families of our staff and our families? And my seven-year-old daughter saw me crying. She wants to know why. And her dad explained to us that we have to close the shop again. And she went into her room and she got her little bottle where she puts in all her savings, you know, for stuff that she wants to buy. And she brought it to her dad and she gave it to her dad. And she said, this is so we don't go under. She's seven years old. She's not supposed to know this. She's not supposed to go through this. We are not supposed to go through this. We we cannot have this thing hanging over our heads. Oh, now they're opening us again. Well, what about in two weeks' time? What about in three weeks' time? It's a complete control thing that they have going now, and it's not fair. It's not right. We are just trying to make an honest living. We are trying to support, like I said, not just us, but our staff's families as well. And it's, like I said, my husband is up at two o'clock in the morning, just can't sleep. We can't sleep. It's a constant worry about what's going to happen. Where are we going to go? How long is this going to take? Um, they keep making promises, but they never deliver on the promises. Yeah. You know, they keep making promises of, oh, we'll, we'll look after you. We'll look after you. We have terrorists coming in. We have had nothing of that. We have applied for it how many times? We don't get that. We can't help our staff because we can barely help ourselves. So it, it's... The whole thing is getting too much. It's Absolutely. it's it's killing us. It's killing us financially. It's killing us psychologically. It's demoralizing. It makes us not trust anything that the government says because every other day they say something else. So the whole thing, it's like this big dark cloud just hanging over all of us, the tobacco industry, the restaurant industry, the liquor industry, gyms, everybody that is still closed because we're a threat to the population. Um, it's unfair. We cannot be punished like this for what a small proportion of people do, for what a small percentage of people do. Yeah. We cannot be punished for that. And, and Natasha, just very quickly, sorry, the, the, the sound quality on your side is, is very, very bad. Um, can I just ask you back back away from the mic perhaps a bit? Because um, it's, it's really, really peaking um, and we, we, we missed a little bit of that. Um, but I, I don't want to come back to you because I think you raised a very important point, which is, you know, your industry is very much linked to a, a, a whole associated range of industries from tourism to, you know, the hospitality uh, um, and the restaurant industry. Um, maybe yes. 
talk to me a little bit about that. You know, what have you found, uh, you know, maybe as you talk to fellow um, uh, liquor store owners, maybe fellow guys who work in, in restaurants who may have been supplying, um, how, how are things looking for them? Not good. Not good. They're sitting in exactly the same spot that we are. We can't trade. We can't pay our staff. We can't keep our staff. Um, everybody is so demoralized and completely taken over Absolutely. by this thing. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, I, I, I must raise this issue because, um, you know, Herman, uh, uh, because I, I think we often forget that, you know, you are perhaps at the very beginning of a very long supply chain um, of, of people, you know, who are dependent on the sector, who are dependent on, you know, at the end of the supply chain, someone like me or any other human being, not that I smoke, but I'm just making the point, you know, walking into a, a store and buying a pack of cigarettes, for example, or walking into a shop and buying their favorite wine. You know, I, I drink kosher wine. I enjoy kosher wine. Um, but talk to me about the impact this has had on you um, and maybe people you sp you've spoken to, fellow farmers or, you know, other guys who are in the supply chain. How are you guys faring in that regard? You know, at this stage, uh, we must honestly say that our buyer, British American Tobaccos, have given us a security for this season's uh, tobacco. Let's say the past season, the tobacco that was already produced. All right. So they gave us and came to the table and said, guys, listen here, we'll buy this year's crop. But as with anything in South Africa, we still need to continue with our next crop, which we already started with the seedlings in this year. All right? <clears throat> My seedlings are already growing, and I'm already spending money on that. And this is where our insecurity is now step, uh, stepping in. The problem for us is we don't know what this ban is going to be affecting and how it's going to affect my buyer's uh, in pro uh, product. How much is he going to supply? Because a smoker who smokes 10 cigarettes a day is now not going to jump and start smoking 30 cigarettes. He's going to continue to smoke 10 cigarettes. And it's exactly the same as within the liquor industry. Even when Natasha opens her liquor store, everybody's not going to come in and buy 10 boxes of Richelieu or wine. They're still going to buy one bottle. And the effect is, and what I've uh, we've talked about um, when I talk to a lot of farmers, is our fear now is how is our buyer going to handle the situation going forward? Are we uh, going to have restrictions uh, on our next crop? And as long as this ban is in place, it will it's placing more and more pressure on us as producers. In the end, whereas we will have to start cutting production, and when we start cutting production, we start cutting on stock. So somewhere you have to get that balance. And it's exactly the same thing that's going to happen in all the industries, it happened in the tourist industry. They had to already start cutting their staff. It happens in the hospitality industry. They're already cutting staff. So the uh, ripple effect that this is having, uh, uh, Natasha selling two, pa uh, two packs of cigarettes a day, that's directly supporting me, but it's also supporting her business. We are all in this country, and this is what the minister does not understand. It's an interlinked industry. It is not tobacco on its own. It's not wine and, and, and um, uh, liquor stores on their own. Somewhere along the line, we are all interlinked. Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, guys, you know, 
Um, maybe just a, a, a quick um, note. Uh, we're going to head to our first ad break uh, in, a, in about a couple of minutes. I will bring you on again for the last sort of 10 minutes of our conversation as we then also shape the conversation around what needs to happen now uh, to salvage uh, what has been a, an absolute bloodbath in this industry. Um, maybe, Herman, let me come back to you again just one more time very briefly because I, I think there's something that you, you, you mentioned here which is the generational nature of, you know, the farming industry in this country. It isn't, you know, it isn't Johnny come lately, so to speak, who are, who are uh, in this sector. It's people who've been doing this for generations upon generations. Uh, how would you argue or how would you say the effects of this prohibition? Um, has it seen a lot of people even be at the brink of shutting down businesses? Or do you know of anybody who has even shut down a business? Uh, you know, at this stage, and thank God for that, that we are not in that position yet where we are, have to shut down. But we, a lot of farmers under this insecurity has already been, uh, uh, been laying off staff uh, from what I heard out in the field, uh, preparing for the onslaught that is coming for us, possibly, if this ban is not lifted. But I would like to take the guys back to the court case where my affidavit that I've handed in and uh, Advocate Cockrell actually referred to that on Wednesday uh, to my affidavit. Whereas the minister just said, um, you know, uh, it is a right for me to choose my trade, all right? For three generations, we've chosen our trade. Mm. Uh, that is tobacco production. Now, if you guys go and look at what the minister's answering affidavit was on my affidavit, it is, no, you can choose a different trade. Now, as the same as with Natasha, how can she just choose another trade? They've decided to trade legally under the constitution. Mm. We are allowed to choose our trade. That is our constitutional right. Mm. Now, suddenly the minister argues, no, uh, you can choose a different trade mm. because I decide as, as if she is the mother that is deciding uh, for naughty children. Mm. I'm going mm. to spank you if you don't play by my rules. And if Natasha's shop is not open, my best friend uh, down in the Cape who produces wine, he's affected. I'm affected. So um, I cannot uh, refer to the exact pages in the, in the affidavit, but right. when I read the answering affidavit of the minister before I signed, I was like, I was stunned. I was blown away that somebody can, and, and it boiled down to, I'm your mother, I'm deciding who's what is best for this country, mm. and you have no say in it. Absolutely. And look, let's pick that up after the break. Um, after the yep. break, I continue my conversation with Natasha Zitzman, who is a uh, liquor trader in the Eastern Cape, uh, Jeffreys Bay. And of course, Herman, um, who is a tobacco farmer in the Northwest. All right, welcome back to the Big Daddy Lipta Show. I am in conversation, of course, with Natasha Zitzman um, out here in the Eastern Cape, or down in the Eastern Cape, sorry, and um, uh, Herman, who is you know, a, 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 a tobacco farmer. Um, guys, you know, uh, you know, anybody who's listening to, to you guys now might be thinking, my goodness, like... What have these politicians done? Um, you know, because often we don't hear the... the we don't hear the real human stories um, behind the, their decisions. You know, the, in this case, to ban, uh, you know, uh, alcohol and, and uh, tobacco. Um, Natasha, let me come to you. And um, I know you've been having issues with your mic, um, you know, uh, but um, 
I think someone who's listening to this might be thinking, oh dear, you know, maybe our initial support for this alcohol ban has been a little wayward because we didn't hear the stories, the real on-the-ground stories of of people like you, families who who are struggling at the moment. Um, I asked Herman a question before the break, you know, whether, you know, you've been in conversation with other people who are in your sector, um, you know, broadly speaking. Um, What what have you heard? You know, are, are you hearing restaurant owners say, look, we're shutting down our doors or have there been people who shut down their doors already? Um, We haven't heard about people, luckily, we haven't heard about people actually shutting down, but they are taking huge financial losses. Um, We have a very, very good friend who has a pub here in Jeffreys Bay and he has not been able to trade since the beginning of lockdown. And to him and his family, that is a major worry. So we supply him, like Herman said, we sell his cigarettes. Um, now we can't, so it hurts him. It, and, and like you said, this chain is so big. It is so big and it's so interlinked that everybody is talking about their losses. Everybody is talking about their worries. Um, we, my husband, hears on a daily basis about, you know, the few restaurants that we supply and some of the pubs that we supply and some of the taverns as well that we supply. The losses that they're taking, the the absolute worry about what's going to happen, where are we going to go, what are we going to do? Um, everybody's always talking about, have you heard anything? Um, do you think we'll open soon? That's all we're talking about. It's all we're talking about. It's all we're thinking about. The whole chain is not being considered by the people in power and the people making decisions. We are not being considered. We are not being considered as people. We are being considered as an industry. Um, And the industry... Uh, sorry, I was yeah. going to ask um, perhaps a question to, to both of you as we head into the last sort of um, four minutes of our chat. Guys, and let me begin with you, Herman. Um, you know, where to from here? Because I think um, it, it cannot be business as usual. It cannot be people being made to suffer in silence. Um, is there any action you guys have taken so far? I, I, I did mention before the uh, before the we started the interview that British American Tobacco and a few other vested interest groups have taken the state to to um, to court on this issue. Uh, are you guys maybe involved in that? Um, look, as I said earlier, um, I was one of the deponents in the case under the South Af- Southern Africa Agri Initiative as eighth applicant. I was um, I had my uh, deponent as and I've handed in my. Um, affidavit and Adv- Advocate Cockrell uh, referred on Wednesday quite heavily on ref- and relied heavily on my affidavit uh, on one of his arguments. Um, I would just love to come back uh, to what Natasha has been saying about how we interlinked uh, in each other. And we are being treated as an industry. And what people must understand, if you looked at the court case when starting how Advocate Cockrell and also now um, uh, the ministers, uh, advocates, they were referring to us as an industry and they were fighting this whole thing as an industry. And I would like to take a minute of your time, uh, if it's possible, to explain to people in a simplistic way how we are treated as an industry. Uh, I use the analogy of a traffic cop. 
that became a politician and he hates motorcycles. And by hating motorcycles, uh, he becomes a minister. Now, he cannot attack the motorcyclist itself who's driving the motorcycle. No, the easiest way of attacking and getting rid of the motorcycle uh, motorcyclist is by attacking the industry, the dealerships and the producers by hitting them with strict regulations on how to, when to, where to, how to. Eventually, you kill off your producer uh, and your dealership. The end user, because if the minister had attacked us directly as the end user, the smoker, the people would have been up in arms. But by playing this whole thing around COVID-19 um, and mm. attacking the, uh, the industry. Now, mm. I would like to take you guys back to 2000, uh, 2000, 11th of August 2000, where Minister Chabalala Msimang, back then the health minister, called us a corporate-induced epidemic. So this didn't start or, uh, 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 with COVID-19. It started with uh, Minister Dlamini Zuma in '96 when she was the Minister of Health. Right. And she uh, implemented the new Tobacco Control Act. And the, what people must realize, sorry, Big Day, if we must now take our glasses off uh, in, in the fact that I'm a tobacco farmer and a smoker, take those glasses off and put on your civil liberty right glasses That's as right. a citizen. This is a watershed case. Because if we lose this case, if BAT and its applicants lose this case, it will embolden, in my view, this is my personal view, it's not industrial uh, industry view, my personal view. If we lose this case, it will embolden the minister to continue restricting, restricting the rights, the human rights under COVID and under this current um, uh, pandemic uh, legislation. She can continue with a cabinet to uh, to restrict our human rights. You've raised an important point that I want to, oh, in the last two minutes that we have um, to chew on. Um, and I, I might give us a few more minutes uh, after that. My, my producers will have to uh, forgive me for that. Um, I think you're raising a very important point around the liberty, the freedom aspect. Should politicians have the power to, you know, <laughs> almost like a, 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 a an emperor, to in the moment dictate something purely based on a whim, even when there's seemingly very little evidence of that? Uh, decision being sort of rational or founded in data, as is the case with uh, cigarettes, as is the case with alcohol. Guys, I must give you both a last word. Um, let me begin with you, Natasha. And, uh, Herman, I'll end with you. Um, Natasha, what do we do uh, heading uh, forward? And what, what does the, the, the liquor industry need right now? Um, can you hear me better now? Perfect. Perfect line. <laughs> okay. All right. Going forward, it's 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 a very involved question um, because government really wants to regulate us. They want to tell us how much we can trade and cannot trade. But there's so many problems with the, the, the proposals that they put through. What they need to do is they need to ask us. They need to ask the liquor store owners. They need to ask the tavern owners. They need to ask the pub owners. What can you do and how can you help us? prevent all these things that we want to prevent. Ask us. We've got loads of ideas. We've got loads of ideas, which is not going to break our industry. We've got loads of proposals that we could put through, but nobody is asking us. Uh, nobody is asking us, what do you think? Well, how can we make this better? We have 
people who are not involved in our industry making decisions about our industry. Mm. Um, I can't go to a hairdresser and say, oh, you need to do this and this and this, because I don't understand how her business works. For the same reason, you can't tell me how to run my business because you don't understand how my business and my clients, you don't understand how that works. You don't understand the relationship that we as an independent liquor store have with our customers. We know them. We talk to them every day. So going forward, first of all, I think all the industries need to stand together. Restaurants, gyms, pubs, taverns, tobacco, we all need to stand together. Try not to do this separately, but try and do it as a unit and talk as a unit. And then from there on, ask us how things can be made better. Absolutely, I agree. And um, Herman, I must give you the final word. You know, um, I think Natasha's opened um, up a, 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 a reasonable fight back in terms of being united. Um, do you want to maybe just chip in? Yes, we have to stand together as South Africans. There is no other way. And what I'm asking each and every listener on this channel, please, guys, if you are in support of Lift the Ban SA, Lift the ban on alcohol, lift the ban on tobacco. And if you are standing for the civil rights of South Africans under a democracy, then please, the one way we can put pressure on this government to lift the ban is by each making a video, a personal video, and tagging hashtag lift the ban SA and su- voice mm. your support. If we can get 10,000 South Africans within a week to make a video, in support of lift the ban on tobacco and alcohol. Government cannot ignore it. And we've seen this work plenty of times on social media. Whereas on social media, if people start fighting and start supporting a, a, a certain aspect, then government reneges on what they've decided and they flip-flop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, I must end it off here. I've run out of time and I will put that information in the link of the podcast version of the show. Let me thank both of you for joining and I will have you guys back on here. I think it's important for us to have that conversation on the liberty aspect. Thank you very much to the both of you. That is Herman Roos, of course, who is a tobacco farmer out in Brits in the Northwest and, of course, Natasha Zitzman um, out in the Eastern Cape in Jeffreys Bay. All right, guys, welcome back as uh, we wrap up the show. And as always, we end the show by looking at who the Mumish of the Week was. Well, 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 who is this week's Mumish of the Week? And I can show you now. (laughs) It goes straight to the Minister of Justice in this country, um, you know, uh, uh, Ronald Lamola, who basically suggested that there should be a return of a scorpion-like, you know, uh, 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 crime-fighting or corruption-busting agency. But again... He's stating the obvious here. Of course, there should be not a scorpion-like, but an actual reinstatement of the scorpions. Um, And again, he is the mumish because he represents the very same political party that disbanded the scorpions in the beginning. We we should hold very little quarter for politicians who chop and change their minds like this, often making bad decisions and then coming back to pretend as if they're the heroes by reinstating um, or or rectifying a bad decision. 
decision that they took. So I'm sorry, he deserves the mumish of the week for me for essentially trying to feign being a hero, um, arguing for, rightly, the reinstatement of the scorpions, or scorpion-like in his word, um, entity. Whereas, in reality, it is his government, his political party, that disbanded them in the beginning. So, Ronald Lamola, on behalf of the ANC government, you get the mumish of the week. And yes, there should be a return of the scorpions. Guys, as I say that, let me say thank you very much. Um, apologies for the poor qu- uh, sound quality. It's just a very bad line on the other side. Um, and this show will be podcasted and made available on the Big Daddy Liberty uh, platforms. That's uh, on Facebook and YouTube and, of course, on IONO and all your favorite podcasting avenues. With that being said, thank you very much. I will see you guys next week as we discuss all issues through the lens of liberty here on the Big Daddy Liberty Show. <laughs>